Hearts, the economy, fandom, are they cults? Are they larger than life? Are they cultural connections? These are questions we're going to answer more of here on this edition of the Minor Leagues. Hello, everyone. I'm Matt Ryan, and joining me, as always, at the intersection of sports and crypto is one of my favorite human beings. It's Nathan Simone. Nathan, we've got a fun show this week. We're talking about the world of of football, whether it's in Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, even in Europe, all across the world, the idea of football and crypto is a big, big thing. And especially when we're in the midst of the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, it is the biggest and best time to be a football fan, but also a fan of crypto. Yeah, they, they're intersecting quite nicely here, Matt. Uh, it's almost as if they've listened to our show. I like to think <laughs> that we have a worldwide influence, um, you know, and that's not ego-based. I think that's just objectively fact-based that people are listening to us. They're taking hints. We're coming for you, FIFA. And this is an interesting kind of time to be talking about sports because obviously if we were talking about sports five years ago, 10 years ago, crypto is just not involved. They're not involved at all. Just like if you were in the 70s or 80s, hey, social media and the internet, it's not part of sports. So we're at a very interesting time here to be a football fan. And we're specifically going to be talking about Argentina and Brazil today because they kind of relate to some stuff that we have happening at BitMart. And I believe you told me this, Matt, and I'm going to goof this up, so you're just going to have to correct me. It's either Argentina or Brazil is one of the ones that's, like, favored to maybe win the World Cup. Like well, Argentina and Brazil like are always front runners going back for Argentina, the days of Diego Maradona. Uh, Brazil going back nearly a century have been one of the cornerstones of the international game. They helped set the standard Maradona in the 70s and 80s uh, and and his comparisons to uh, Pele, who was a Brazilian soccer star, was one of the first people to really make an impact in the United States with football, being a member of the New York Cosmos. There's so many great documentaries and pieces about that time in our country's history. But yeah, anytime there's global competition in football over the past 50 years, Argentina and Brazil have been towards the top of the conversation. Europe has done an excellent job in Germany and France, Italy over the last 20 years uh, making World Cup finals. There's so much growth in this game, but Latin and Central and South America have developed some of the greatest athletes we've ever seen play the game. And real quick before we get into the kind of crypto element here, because it makes sense that these teams because they do so well that they obviously are doing decently financially well and they have the opportunity to explore these signing up players for cryptos doing nfts having their own fan tokens now which i'm sure they're getting revenue from and and using for all sorts of creative stuff is there maybe a comparison where it's like um why do latin america you think do so well in terms of soccer the only comparison that i'm thinking of uh, in my, I feel like I say this every show in my limited sports knowledge, um, is, is the kind of the, it, it makes me think of the sec always being dominant in football in the, in American football in the United States. Is there any sort of comparison there? Or the, is there any reason why certain countries you think dominate in football, AKA soccer versus other ones? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, colonial and imperialism. 
because a lot of those countries have been affected by European and North American powers. Uh, that's why in the Caribbean, baseball is such a prevalent sport. If you look at the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Cuba, those games really rose and are important there in baseball to a certain extent as well. Uh, but when it comes to football, and also it's it's the most affordable game. True. All you need is a ball, and sometimes people don't even have a ball. Um, I think that has a lot to do with it and just circumstances that are beyond sports, cultural, socioeconomical, political. There's so many different things to why certain sports transfer over to other countries and retain there. China, for instance, in basketball, it it's the globalization of that game and just the effective marketing of that game in the 80s and 90s that really led to that. I think a lot of the quote-unquote post-Hong uh, Kong era of China, their acceptance of capitalism uh, really showed that off. Um, the dream team, obviously, in basketball. But the globalization of that game, like Japan and baseball, that came after American occupation of Japan in the 1940s, heading into the 50s. And even before that, the game of baseball was huge over in Japan. When you think of Sadaharu Oh, who technically could be considered the home run record king. Uh, same thing with uh, Josh Gibson, who played in the Negro Leagues. Sports have this weird wonky history that align with socioeconomic and the, uh, the different negative... They've been positive effects of negative aspects of capitalism and uh, colonialism. Uh, over the last couple of centuries. Interesting to note that the Babe, Ruth, the Babe Ruth of the world, like the home run king, is probably Japanese. Yeah. I did not know that. Huh. Well, I learned something new on every show. No, I kind of agree with you there, Matt, because, you know, uh, of the few, I have not traveled worldwide as much as I would like to, but I was fortunate to go to Italy once. And in Sicily, I saw a bunch of kids playing with a makeshift soccer ball that was made out of what looks like a bundle of newspapers and bundle of magazines wrapped together. And I assume it had some sort of solid core, but I had no idea what the solid core was. And they seemed to get along just fine doing it. And I found it interesting because uh, Italy is not necessarily a poor country. It's a developed European country. But there was something about the do-it-yourself aspect to the game. And like you said, all you need is a halfway decent pair of shoes. I have also seen people play soccer barefoot with a real soccer ball. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's just, it's almost like running uh, where people do it barefoot. You can do it with a decent pair of shoes and it's kind of just up to you to, to play the game. So there's something fascinating about that where I think it kind of intersects with crypto a little bit with the sort of do it yourself um, sort of maverick aspect that a lot of crypto projects have, but they've been able to intertwine nicely with some of these very developed soccer leagues. And like I said, we're going to be talking about the Argentinian soccer leagues and the Brazilian, those national teams. And I wanted to bring up some stories here that I thought were just fascinating. Um, and I want to concentrate here on Argentina real quick for the first couple of stories. And that is that all the way back in, um, gosh, let me see here. Duh, duh, duh. It was all the way back in June or July, Argentina was luring soccer players to play for some of their leagues. Mm -hmm. um, 
with crypto signup bonuses. And so the article begins here with Argentina has made it to national headlines with their most recent signing of a local football player with cryptocurrency. Sao Paulo is one of the largest soccer teams in Brazil, and they also just bought a player with crypto. So sorry, uh, it's both Argentina and Brazil. This, this, this article is focusing on Brazil first, but they go on to kind of say, and this is kind of a segue that I wanted to talk about, Argentina um, is having a really bad time with inflation. There are estimates from Reuters where at the end of this year, it's going to reach 100%, which is pretty bad, <laughs> pretty bad. Usually it's good to get up to 100%. It means you've made an A, uh, but in this case, it's very, very bad. So, um, you know, in the U.S. and in, in the Europe, we've had high single digits, sometimes a little bit lower double digits. Argentina is about to get into the triple digits. Here's where it becomes interesting. Even during this bear market where people may be risk averse to investing in crypto and you can't get a good return on your money, and these are seen as riskier investments, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, in Argentina, it actually might be better to convert your currency there into crypto and hold it in certain, in certain periods. And that is kind of what it seems like they've been attracting some of these soccer players with, where they've been signing them up with USDC, which you're familiar with, Matt. It is a stable coin. And I find that fascinating that even if the signups might be slightly lower, although it looks like they're still pretty good, they're in the millions of dollars, um, the fact that they're doing it in crypto, specifically USDC, instead of the local native currency, has been a big boon simply to these soccer players not losing their money. And I was wondering about your thoughts on that. It's, it's fascinating, and it seems like the time is, is right, even if there wasn't inflation, for this to happen for some of these teams. Yeah, I, I think that it's the inevitable aftershocks of the global economy. And when you're trying to incentivize players to uproot their lives and move to a different country or even a different continent, it's you're trying to position yourself the best way possible. And if you can do it through that, that's a competitive advantage. Um, when it comes to the norms of this, I know players in the NFL, Odell Beckham Jr., when he signed with the Los Angeles Rams last year, he had a majority portion of his salary get put into Bitcoin um, it obviously took a hit, but he ended up, I think, making actually thirty-five grand out of an initial one point two million dollar salary, uh, which I believe is around the league minimum for veteran players. Uh, when it comes to doing that, um, I would be, I would be a little afraid, mainly because of where the market is and where the market's been going the last couple of months. But if it's a more stable financial you know, option over the current currency that you're getting paid in or the national currency of the country you're working in, it's a viable solution. And you have a way to hold on to and protect your money and not have it be completely blown out of the water. Uh, I think that we, we need to look at sports through a litany of lenses, especially when we look at the cost of sports, because I think one of the more common arguments of the people who ask athletes to shut up and dribble is that they're playing a game, and how dare they make tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars for what they do, but these are also people who are ardent capitalists. 
um, as someone who's not as much of an ardent capitalist as some of our peers. Um, for me, I think that the way we look at sports financing is how we look. It's capitalism in its purest form. It's supply and demand. I think the things around sports and around, you know, com you know, organizations and governing bodies like FIFA, where if you type in FIFA in scandal, I think it has more Google search results than, you know, a more common phrase like hello uh, or sandwich. <laughs> well, but, but for this, <laughs> for athletes, it's a very viable alternative. But I would also try to have as much fiat as you can. So you have a bit of a protection, a bit of a safety net in terms of you, your family making the right moves because the litany, the, prepo the preponderance of athletes who have gone broke uh, is exorbitant. Um, what, no matter the sport, we've seen so many tales of athletes falling completely on their financial ass, whether it's through bad investments, people stealing their money, giving their money to their family, poor financial planning. These are people who are making millions of dollars before they can even, some of them can barely even vote. They can't even drive a car. Like some of the richest athletes in sports are under the age of 25. Like Tua Tonga-Vailoa is in his early to mid 20s and he is a quarterback for an NFL franchise. Same thing with Joe Burrow on the Cincinnati Bengals, Mac Jones for the New England Patriots. There's a laundry list, Justin Fields on the Chicago Bears. And then you look at European and international football. There are people 16, 17, 18 years old playing this game. If you remember Freddie Adu, he got signed at 14. <laughs> and you, you worry about that, but there's been a lot better uh, education and financial literacy programs and... And I'm just speaking primarily of, of North American leagues because I understand and have worked within the machinations of that for the majority of my adult life. There are pension plans. There are financial advisors. There's there are resources available that never were available. And I feel like depending on the league, depending on where you are in the world, you have that afforded to you. Um, and when you're a smaller league in a country that's beset by a litany of problems, and I've used litany way too much on this show, you have to find any competitive advantage. And crypto for smaller countries or teams within smaller geographical areas who are trying to build up their value, build up their worth, bring in bigger names, they're not going to compete immediately with Real Madrid. They're not going to compete with Barcelona, Man U, Chelsea, any of the large football clubs, Bayern Munich, but if they're able to say, hey, we'll pay you all of this and pay it to you in crypto, helps avoid taxes, helps avoid, you know, a bunch of loopholes and a bunch of, pro bunch of problems. It's not completely recession-proof, but it is somewhat inflation-proof. Yeah, well, it, the reason why I find it most fascinating is because of what they're paying the players in. So um, I don't know if it's necessarily tax proof or things like that, because these are still stable coins and they are still being paid within this jurisdiction. But it, it is it is interesting. I mean, certainly USDC, just like USDT or any other stable coin, the whole goal of the crypto existing is to not lose its peg with the dollar. They're supposed to be over collateralized. Um, I have full confidence in USDC, not so much about USDT. There's some problems going on with that. But at the same time, um, 
it isn't Bitcoin. Um, it is slightly, I, want, I don't want to say slightly, it is centralized. USDC is by Circle, a company. The company could go out of business. There is some risk here. So you hope that somebody behind the scenes is kind of advising these people and these players about what to do, what not to do. But it is, you know, a, a lot of these players, just like we've covered MMA fighters who have taken their salaries in Bitcoin, they, they're adventurous and kind of have a pioneer spirit already. So maybe they've just decided that the risk of going all in on this and kind of figuring out as they go along, it already outweighs any potential negatives um, that they would from having the national currency. Now, we're talking about Argentina and Brazil, which I don't believe have very strict capital controls. So there's there's um, not like worries. It's not like being in uh, Venezuela or, or North Korea or other countries where you're always worried about your money being seized, uh, no matter what form it's in. So I don't think it's necessarily that, but it, it does also give you the ability because USDC doesn't, you don't have to have a bank account to have USDC. Um, you could move jurisdictions. You could go, maybe they get, they become the best, you know, soccer player in Argentina and then they get hired by Real Madrid and they can kind of take their wealth with them in a more efficient way. Um, I think it's kind of hard for them to, to avoid taxes and some of the scrutiny when you're a public figure like that, but what do I know? So I was just trying to figure out a way to use the word litany and I couldn't figure out a way to use it. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, it's interesting enough staying on Brazil here that it is crypto has not only permeated what the clubs are doing to attract players, but I have another story here that I wanted to share with you that will help us dovetail nicely into some of other stuff that once again, Brazilian soccer giant Sao Paulo embraces crypto as a payment method for fans. So in Argentina, we're seeing crypto being used as kind of an inflation hedge. The national currency is not very good for whatever reason. I won't try and get into that. And in Brazil, um, where I believe they use the real, it's a little bit more stable and people tend to like crypto and they actually use it to pay for things. And one of the most successful Brazilian soccer clubs, which I said is Sao Paulo, now allows its fans to purchase match tickets with cryptocurrencies and they're the first team in the country to be allowed to do that. I think we've kind of seen this in the U.S., Matt. I remember us asking Nick Garland about this, if you could pay with Bitcoin for stuff, would he want to do it? It's still not really catching on in the U.S. Also, it's there's not a lot of cryptos that are true. They're truly payment efficient. Uh, Bitcoin Lightning is still developing. But at least here in Brazil you're going to be able to use, oh gosh, I just had it up here. It was Bitcoin Shiba Inu, which is hilarious that they, they picked Shiba Inu, and a couple of other ones. I believe it was also Dogecoin. So they're, it's interesting that they're picking a lot of the meme coins that they know I think probably have a, a mass adoption. And then of course they're picking Bitcoin because it's, you know, it's essentially uh, seen as digital gold in the market. But at least in Brazil, you're able to pay for matches and there's a kind of consumer push to use cryptocurrencies on, on the kind of ground level. What are your thoughts on that, Matt? I think that it's a great way to engage your fan base. Um, this is the opportunity, I think, for many small developing leagues to play off their natural fan base. I think we're going to start to see this act as a potential uh, personal seat license, which for those who don't know, when they build new stadiums, 
you're given the opportunity, and this has started in the NFL <clears throat> and also in baseball, where when they build the stadiums, you're basically buying the right to buy tickets to a seat. So the NFT could act as the intermediary for that. You will buy an NFT for that seat in the stadium. It is yours. You buy tickets for whenever you, and you add it to your season ticket plan. And either you segment and, or fractionize or fracture the NFT. Uh, forget the actual word for it. Or fractional ownership. You can split it off and sell it like you would your season tickets on a StubHub or Ticketmaster or what have you. Or you can keep them yourselves and hold value and then have that turn into benefits, whether that's merchandise, you know, discounts, free food, uh, get to hug Mr. Met. I, I don't know for which, but <laughs> there's a lot of value in it. And it goes back to NFTs being a catch-all and people trying to figure out what does it mean for them? What does the idea of a non-fungible token mean for them? And I think we're going to see over the next five years a lot of the things that we thought of when NFTs first started become more of the past. I think the things that will really take hold in the NFT space will be these aspects of sports and fandom and you know content ownership. Because for for art collectors, art holders, there's always going to be a space for that in the NFT world. But I think the real success, the real intention of the NFT world, of what the, the idealists see NFTs as, will be these utility-based tokens. And I think that what we've seen over the last week with the fall of FTX... And everything that FTX has been do, everything FTX did up until this point, may scare people away from that space. So it's it's all about repositioning and pivoting. And I think sports is the perfect pivot for serious investors, serious creators, and people in the space who can take these assets and aspects of it to the next level because the the roadmap's already there. You don't need to do a white paper. You don't need to spend all this time. You have the things in front of you that you could port over into the NFT space and easily sell people on it in fandom. Because if you're selling them on the... It's an app at this point. Like, I have a MLB ballpark, ballpark app on my phone, and I can literally just buy a ticket, hold it on my phone, send it to my Apple wallet, all of that's already there, and people are conditioned to do that because now at the ballparks, no one has physical tickets anymore. I went to a show on Friday night at the Beacon Theater. It was Conan O'Brien's podcast. Everybody's got their phones out. They've got their Ticketmaster app open. You tap it, you go on through. The last physical ticket I got for anything was for a screening of Clerks 3, also at the Beacon Theater, but that was because we got upgraded. I only get, uh, and or go to shows where I get comped, I'll get a physical ticket. As a producer for Catalyst Wrestling, physical tickets really don't matter anymore. It's either people showing you their phones, or you're at will call, and you just go mark an X on them, keep it moving. And for people who want that that trinket, that, that memorabilia, 
having an NFT and being able to have that asset of a digital ticket or even being able, one of the utilities is a physical ticket mailed to your house, a commemorative ticket of the event, of the moment. That that right there taps into a whole other subset because you got to remember sports fans are collectors. Sports fans are ostensibly hoarders. They have these icons. It's like a religion. It's like a cult. You got, you've got the things that you want. Like you want a football? Football's a part of the NFT ownership. You want a baseball? You know what? Baseball, part of an NFT ownership. This is just stuff I have on my desk from things that I've accumulated in my career or things as a fan. Hell, commemorative cups. You know how much a commemorative cup in a Met game costs? Oh. Uh, <clears throat> With a beverage. With the beverage, okay, that helps. Uh, 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 twenty-five dollars. No, it's a, it's a twenty-five at City Field, but oh, sorry. No, it's, but that's still an outrageous price for what is a sense like a two-dollar soda and a cup that costs thirty cents to make to destroy our environment. But I have like four of them just around the house because it's a cool reminder of the team I like. And is I, it a is it a plastic cup? Yeah. It's a plastic oh, okay. cup, yeah. Never mind. You know, I'm thinking of the Coors Brewery here where it, they give you an aluminum cup and now they charge for the tour, but I digress. <laughs> I digress. Um, you, you know, Matt, I couldn't agree with you more there, and I actually have the MLB ballpark app still on my phone uh, from that one solid ticket that I bought to the Rockies game. Uh, true fans will remember this. Ride or die fans will remember this me going to the Rockies game. And actually, Matt, I learned this. It had been so long since I went to a baseball game that I wasn't aware that this had become the standard, that this had become the norm, because I kind of do like paper tickets. I realize they're very silly and outdated, but at the same time, paper tickets, because they usually have a serial number or a barcode or something like that, they're also still non-fungible, right? That's the entire point of a ticket is for it to be one of one. Otherwise, everybody could just, I could just print tickets up to Wazoo and there nobody would be able to have events because they'd be so chaotic. <laughs> and it was it, it's interesting because I actually called Coors Field because I didn't have any experience with this app and being like, so I just use this app and I scan it and that's it. I don't need to get anything else. And I was actually told that if I wanted a paper ticket, so let's just make an extreme here. Let's say I didn't have a smartphone or something like that, and I needed to get a paper ticket. It was actually a dollar more. So they disincentivize you from getting the paper tickets. We have crossed the threshold. We've crossed the Rubicon where there is paper tickets are just kind of a thing of the past. And to your point, Matt, they're probably going to have to be some sort of value add where like you can get one mailed to your house or you can pick one up at a gift shop after the game or they can print it off on a special sheet of paper. But you'll kind of know that it wasn't actually the way that you got into the event. And I have always thought that NFTs being you know non-fungible, that's the entire point of them, ticketing was easily one of their best use cases. And I seem to have a lot of agreement here because I know that Mark Cuban is trying to develop a company doing exactly this. I know that a bunch of sports owners in the USA are investing in differing blockchains that you haven't heard of. Like I think, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think Tezos is doing it. Tezos, Tezos has a relationship with the New York Mets. They actually have an advertising partnership with them. Uh, one of the signs, uh, advertising signs in center field of City Field, a big piece of advertising is actually Tezos. Interesting. So it's probably like we've joked about with Algorand, where it's like 
there's nothing wrong with these blockchains. In fact, they're superior to many because a lot of them are based on academic cryptographic research. They just don't have the hype and kind of craziness of some of the other alternative coins like, uh, you know, like, like Dogecoin or Avalanche or things like that. But they're not bad chains at all. And it's clear that they have a use case and it's clear that they work because otherwise you wouldn't have institutional adoption from major sports leagues. They're not going to make a bet that they think is going to fail, or at least usually they're not going to. And so I think that this is really interesting because not just with NFTs, but being able to pay with crypto at sport, at sports games, at places like Brazil, Mexico actually led the way on this, but we're not talking about Mexico in this episode. We're talking about Brazil and Argentina. The fact that you can use it here at Brazil kind of segues brilliantly into what I want to end the show on here. And that is something that you can actually buy on BitMart right now, or I'm sorry, you can buy one of them on BitMart. I'll tell you which one. And it's something that I actually hadn't even heard of until I knew that we had to record this episode today. And that is fan tokens, where the Argentinian and Brazilian um, national football teams have their own tokens, and they are on a blockchain that I've actually never heard of. Uh, I'm sorry. They're at, well, I guess they're technically Ethereum-based, but they're on like a sub-blockchain, even underneath Ethereum, which I'm still... You know that when I'm trying to understand it, it's 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 a little bit cryptographically complex <laughs> here. I was like, how do how do you even buy these? But I assume that since they're on Ethereum, they're just a substandard of of ERC20s, and that maybe I'm just not looking at the correct place. But the the Brazil national football team and the Argentinian national football team, uh, which you know are both uh, going to compete in the World Cup, they're national prominent teams. Their fan tokens are wildly popular and give all sorts of interesting utilities like we've talked about, which is interesting because they're not NFTs. I want people to understand that. They're still tokens. They're, they're, they're tokens just like Bitcoin or Dogecoin or any token that coin or token that you would trade. But their price is actually legitimate. I'm going to read off their prices here in real time just since we've been talking. The Argentinian football team token right now goes for $6.87 for one coin, which doesn't seem like a crazy amount. You're saying, Nathan, what's, you know, it's almost $7. I have $7 in my wallet, things like that. Well, when most coins are fractions of a penny, that is an incredible amount. And the Brazil national football team, theirs is going for 79 cents and climbing up towards a dollar right now. The reason why this is so interesting, Matt, is on coin market cap, they're both in the low 400s category. So usually coin market cap, it's listing the top 100 projects, but they have thousands and thousands of projects. Any altcoins that you usually see, their ranking on coin market cap is going to be like 3,000 something, 4,000 something. And that doesn't mean the project is bad. It just has a low price appreciation. People aren't trading it that much, and it's not very popular. So to even be in the top couple of hundred signifies its popularity and their price appreciation is crazy. I want to get your comments on this, Matt, and then I'll go into the utility of them. But just to put their price in more context, Bitcoin and Ethereum, which are essentially the Coca-Cola and Pepsi of the crypto world, huge blue chip crypto, 
they have been moving maybe two, 3% on a good day, right? I know it's been hard to have a good day these past couple of weeks in the crypto market, past couple of months really, but especially these past couple of weeks. Meanwhile, the Brazil and Argentinian football team tokens are moving like 29, 30% day over day. It's just, it's crazy. So it kind of goes back to what we were talking about where if you live in Argentina, you're seeing inflation approach 100%. You can actually put some of your fiat currency in the Argentinian national football team token and not only have it appreciate and have a stable store of value, but you know potentially make some money on it. And I know that people will say, oh, that's not good. You shouldn't put your money in altcoins, things like this. But my last piece of context here, the Argentinian national football team and the Brazilian national football team it's kind of like Target and Walmart. They're well-established brands and they're not going away anytime soon. Their price action may fade a little bit after the World Cup hype is kind of over, but they still have a rabid ride or die fan base. It's, it, 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 it seems like this actually may be an interesting long-term investment. And I know that you can buy the Argentinian football team token on BitMart right now. It's a... Uh, uh, AFT, I believe. BFT for Brazil, I believe we are still trying to list as of this video, but it's on people's radars like, hey, this is a legitimate, interesting piece of kind of fan token. I'll go over the utility in a little bit, Matt, but I kind of want your comments on this. I've, I've, I've never seen anything like this. It reminds me of when you talked about the Green Bay Packers shares and things like that. Power of fandom a base that is ever-expanding, that is across all demographics, all walks of life, all socioeconomic strata, that is one of the high market value propositions of sports, is that no matter if you're the richest person or the poorest person in the world, you can have a connection to sports, and a lot of people do. It's a, you know, all of sports is like a trillion-dollar industry. The, the money spent in and around stadiums can fund small nations for years. The amount of money that goes into the World Cup, into the Olympics, into even events like the Super Bowl or WrestleMania have such high economic impact. And this is just one of, of, I think, the first of many to play out the way it's playing out. And I think you're going to have a lot of smaller teams and smaller leagues trying to do this and not have the same kind of demand. But this is the normalization and actualization of these ideas, of these test cases, of these of these different propositions that already exist in some form. They just have not existed in the NFT space. And I think that we're, we're landing closer and closer to it being a universal norm in sports. Sports is the first adopt, is the earliest adopter of technology. I've said it before on the show. It's wrestling, sports, and pornography. Um, because they have a market base that is universal. They have a loyal and fervent fan base and they are niches. So you can, within those niches, experiment and try new things and be first to market on what becomes standards. Like NFL Sunday ticket is this concept that started from John Taffer of all people, uh, the guy from Bar Rescue. He worked with DirecTV and a bunch of bars to create what is known as Sunday Ticket. But that was also just a version of 
uh, uh, closed circuit, which was prominent in boxing and in wrestling through the 1970s and 80s. It's just applying it in different forms, and it's just it's a Pokemon evolution. These things are going to change with time. They're always going to have the same attributes, but they're going to have a different presentation, a different feel, a different hook to them as you continue to evolve. And now it's gotten to the point with NFL Plus here in the States where you can watch any NFL game at any time on your phone, on your TV. And it's really, really, really interesting just to see these evolutions really jump and we're speed running a lot of stuff right now in the crypto and NFT space. And I think that sports provide the best possible roadmap because these things have been done before, but this is just streamlining them, reapplying them, creating a new shell for a new audience, a new generation. And you really don't have to reinvent the wheel. You're just re you're just applying all of these tenants to a new skin, basically. Yeah, it, it's um, I definitely agree with you there, Matt. It, it's kind of like, you know, when television came out, right? You already had sports games being broadcast and I just had a visual element to it. It's interesting that this really is like, you know, when we named the show the minor leagues, I thought, well, that's clever. And then the subtitle is the intersection of sports and crypto. I just tend to think of intersections as an easy analogy for anybody to get where things meet. This really is the intersection of sports and crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can't think of anything more relevant then you have a sports team, you have fandom built in, as you've already discussed, and now you're building a token around it. And people say, well, why does the token have value, you know, as they as they do in crypto, I say it myself. Um, But you know, I've been saying the same things for years about why does the jersey have value? Why does the commemorative cup have value? And it's it's because people are fans of this enterprise. As you've said, it's almost religious, like uh, um, almost cult like, and if you're not a part of it, hey, I guess it doesn't have value to you. But I, but this is interesting because the fan tokens are also taking on utility type uh, type characteristics, which normally we associate only with NFTs. But these, um, I just wanted to dive into them here a little bit. They're kind of giving the same things you'd expect from an NFT. But once again, these fan tokens are not only being traded on normal exchanges like BitMart. They're across the wider market and they are just easy to buy, sell, hold, and all sorts of stuff. I also wanted to go really quickly here too into if I'm looking on coin market cap right now and for the Brazil national football team, right now people are saying, oh, they're not that valuable. These fan tokens, each one of them has less than $30 million of a market cap. But let me repeat that again. It's still $30 million. million. Yeah, if we had $30 million right now, if we had $30 million right now, you know what we could do? You know, at least buy half a hat. At at least half a hat. I was going to say I'd actually go to Costco and get the big pack of Nathan's hot dogs because it's named after me. Oh, you got All right, so here's a little (laughs) hack. The Nathan's hot dogs in the packs are good, but if you want to eat a good Nathan's hot dog, and I have come under a lot of derision in my own home over this. I've gotten into Whoa. arguments with my roommate and my best my roommate slash best friend about this. The Nathan's on Coney Island oh, is yeah. superior to any other hot dog you will get from any other Nathan's franchise. Not only because it's the original, not only because it's the OG, triple OG, but there's something about 
being there, the way they toast the bun, the, the salt air. There's so many things that add to it. Also, just nostalgia as a child because I was I grew up like 25 minutes from Coney Island, a 30-minute train ride away from Coney Island. Aside from weird traumatic moments that happened there. Uh, <laughs> long story. One day I will I will talk about my childhood on on different public platforms, and you will never mind. Long story short, Nathan's at Coney Island is better. Sports is probably the best application of NFTs, and we're gonna get thirty million dollars worth of half hats. Just just half a, like not visors, not beanies. The dad hat Nathan is wearing now. We're just gonna buy thirty million dollars of half of them, so we can make you know hats and sell them for fifteen million dollars. It's a long, it's a long con. It's a long con. It's funny because the hat that I am wearing um, in Colorado is seen as a, you know, typical male sort of hiker hat, but you are completely correct, Matt. Anywhere else in the U.S. um, or worldwide, I think it would be seen as a sort of dad hat. I just want to say that I've always considered it a great honor to be named after the premium beef product, Nathan's Hot Dogs. And uh, my mother actually growing up would tell me when she was making Nathan's hot dogs because she said that they were named after me, you know, this, that, or, you know, sort of thing. I've never been to New York City. I've never been to Coney Island, but that has been one of the things that I've thought about. Uh, and not to go too crazy here on our international audience, but there was some article I was reading a long time ago from the 70s or 80s in which Danny DeVito talked about how he would go to Nathan's hot dogs uh, in on Coney Island and get lots of inspiration there when he was a broke actor. And I always thought, I don't know, it's just something very interesting and nostalgic about that entire brand and that entire area. But to kind of continue on what we're talking about here, Matt, I want to reiterate this one more time. These fan tokens, right? We're not talking about the stadiums. We're not talking about the jersey. We're only talking about the crypto, the fan token. For each of these teams, is worth almost $30 million each, not combined, each. The Brazil national football team right now, it's at $23 million and climbing. Remember, we're in a terrible bear market. FTX has just collapsed. This is probably the lowest that crypto has been, uh, I mean, almost since before I was in crypto, Matt. That's how long ago, and I've been in since 2016, 2017. In 2017, Mount Gox... No, maybe this is 2016. Uh, don't quote me on the dates here. When Mt. Gox, which was the first crypto exchange ever, it was a Bitcoin-only exchange based out of China. A lot of fraud and stuff going on there. When it collapsed, people said Bitcoin's dead, crypto's dead. It was the lowest sentiment ever that there was in the crypto markets. Now, remember, the crypto wasn't a developed thing. It hadn't permeated the mainstream, things like that. Right now, if I look at crypto history, knowing my crypto history like I do, Right now, you are in the bottom of the trenches right now. You just have more mainstream adoption. Bitcoin is an institutional asset. You have all these good things going with crypto, but it's still super, super low. It's not a bull market. It's not a time to get hyped about projects. And still, in that environment, the Brazil national football team, $23 million for their token. Argentine is doing a little bit better at $25 million. And that is the current circulating supply, right? If they were, if all the tokens were to permeate out and they were all to be released, what's, what's usually called the fully diluted market cap, Argentina is looking at 135 million, Brazil is looking at 78 million. So if we combine those together, once all the tokens were released, if they were to be adopted in the same way that they were, 
a quarter of a billion dollars just for those two teams in the middle of a terrible, terrible, terrible bear market in which confidence in crypto is at essentially one of its all-time lows. So that should speak to the rapidness of fandom, the popularity of these projects, and the just ubiquity that, uh, that some of these things can do. And these, this is only two soccer teams. I wanted to expand here, Matt, really quick. I wanted to close our show with this. This is happening with other soccer teams, and the fan tokens have become incredibly popular and are rallying mostly because of the FIFA World Cup, but also I think just because their time has come. And when people own these coins, they can get access to meet and greets, special merchandising discounts, um, loyalty rewards, uh, seats, seating and preferential treatment. And remember how I was talking about they're on some like sub-platform of a blockchain that I didn't particularly understand? The soccer fan tokens have their own blockchain-based rewards platform called Socios and Beachy, both of which I have never heard of, but that is that doesn't mean anything because I haven't heard of a lot of stuff in sports. <laughs> I've heard of Socios before. Socios and Beachy fan token platform, where if you have your coins and you're putting them in your wallet there or you're staking them or you're doing stuff like that, you can receive fan rewards, digital collectibles, you can access, if you have enough, you can access the team's locker room Ooh. or you can watch the match from certain VIP arenas, almost like being like a frequent flyer or something like that. So not only is the soccer fan token market definitely a thing, like it's definitely real, it's also not based um, not based on some of the, let me put it this way, charitably, uh, false promises of some altcoin projects that are kind of trying to front one run with hope and dreams and hope they get the funding and support later. These are built-in projects. Like I said, just, just like Target, Walmart, Coca-Cola, any established brand, you know this better than anybody, Matt, that they already have the fandom. They already have the people that want to do this, and now – Beautifully, they are intersecting sports and crypto. Yeah, no, uh, this is also a lot of the benefits you're pointing out here are season ticket benefits, season ticket ownership benefits. When I was getting my New York Mets package this uh, summer, uh, they said, if you get, you can get, you know, I got to go on the field. I got to go in the city field. I got to go into the Mets dugout uh, on a tour. Like there's things where you can do batting practice or do certain aspects of going into the locker room, there's a lot of benefits having specific VIP or specific areas that are just for your ticket. Like at Shea Stadium, there's the Piazza Club or the Jim Beam Lounge, the Caesar Sportsbook. These are things that already are existing, and it's such a layup for sports that it's... I keep reiterating it because it's the, it's the honest truth. I really don't see outside of music or concerts or events... NFTs having a realer and more honest application of their ideals than sports because all of these things you're trying to talk about, all of this concept of utility, they only exist with products that have, you know, rate of return, rate of investment, rate of just of buy-in. And the only way you can do that is with sports um, or even in politics. But we're not, you know, we're not going to go through campaign finance reform right now and walk through all those things. But 
It's about finding an audience. It's all marketing. It's all the same same applications that have been done in modern American marketing since the 1920s. The idea of keeping up with the Joneses, the idea of aligning yourself with something culturally bigger than yourself, that's been around since the advent of religion. These are just new applications for it, and these are the easiest roads to get there because people are already sports fans. You're not trying to sell them on a completely new thing and a completely new ideology and a completely new product that even people won't understand. The biggest problem with crypto in the Web3 space, outside of what we've been seeing this week with Sam Bankman-Fried and everything going on with FTX, is that cultural conversation problem. I have been working in this space for less than a year. I've been un- I've, I've known of the space, I've known of some of the players, I've known of the platform. But the one thing I continue to see is the crypto bubble. And not the financial bubble, not it, it's the it's the same thing of being a sports fan and trying to explain offsides in football or offsides in hockey or icing in hockey, like all these little things that the maxis have, or these people who are players in the space or people who work in the space understand. And there's no equivalent to it outside of this little cultural bubble. And it turns into an echo chamber. And I think that there's some resistance to going full in on sports because of the idea of it not being this decentralized Funko land where you could do whatever you want, wherever you want. It's not in the metaverse. It's real. Like, it's tangible. It's a tangible thing. It's not ethereal products. They're tangible things. They're fungible things. They're fungible experiences. But I think the more rational, sober, and adult voices we get in the space to recognize the true value of what is in front of them, the better the market will be. And I'm not someone who who shirks at innovation. I'm not someone who shirks at creativity. But when you start to lose your pragmatism, when you start to lose the, the intent and the focus, the intent is to build something that is successful, that takes care of your stakeholders... And, you you know, if if there was a GM of a baseball team and they went zero for 162, they shouldn't keep their... No one on the team should keep their job because you didn't even win a game. But you promised all of these things. I think we're in the era now where the Wild West is starting to figure out, oh, shit, we need a sheriff for two. And I think that first step comes with embracing sports, embracing these different pockets of the of sports culture because it's going to do so much in the long run to help facilitate innovation, to help facilitate these different aspects of, of, of NFTs and these different pockets of the blockchain. But I think that everybody wants to have their cake and eat it too. And we're seeing the ramifications of that. I'm just glad that I'm not GM of a sports team <laughs> because, uh, I'd be in hiding right now, uh, just uh, shaking a little bit. Not because it's cold out here in Colorado, but because uh, I'd be oh for whatever the highest number is that you can think of. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think that that's a great way to close it up here, Matt, that because there will always be a little bit of a Wild West element in crypto. You're going to always have projects like, you know, Bitcoin, which is totally leaderless and there is no company to shut down. It's, it's like you try, it'd be like trying to shut down electricity. 
Uh, as long as somebody's got a copy of the ledger, they can reboot it right there. Or things like Monero, where the ledger is totally, completely obfuscated and private. Uh, even Cardano, in some ways, um, Charles Hoskinson's main goal is to decentralize it to a point where it doesn't need any of his company input. We will see if that happens. That's a very ambitious goal uh, to let go of a project that is so lucrative. So, But I think that when it comes to the intersection of sports and crypto, we've just kind of seen, you know, you have crypto projects broadly, crypto in quotations, uh, which is what a lot of projects I kind of think are. And then you have the applications of blockchain tech towards like what you said, pragmatism. Uh, we could even say social good or just making things better, making things more efficient, right? In the same way that smartphones allow us to make long distance calls and not pay 25 cents a minute. Hey, why not have fan tokens for Argentina and the Brazil national football teams so that you can do loyalty rewards. It's all fully auditable. It's there on the blockchain. There's a centralized point of contact if you have problems and it's just better. It's just more efficient. If they have a price, it's because people have value in these sports teams. They have value in the experience. I have no problem with that. It is a fascinating thing that as this Coindesk article goes on to say, it's just going to continue to evolve. Long after the world, this World Cup is done, there will be another one. And this stuff won't be forgotten. I'm sure these sports teams will be using this in the meantime to kind of ramp up energy, do promotions, things like that. The next World Cup, where this stuff has had four years to marinate and develop and innovate and go on to another blockchain or do something else, that will be the one to look forward to. It'll be wild. But I think that we can close it there, Matt. We've said kind of, all that we need to really say on this other than, um, you know, if you're really into these football fan tokens, I have to mention once again, the Argentina one is available on BitMart and we are trying to list the Brazil one. I'm not sure what the mechanisms are on the back end there, but I know that they were popular enough and I know that there is enough demand that people want them and what the people want at BitMart, they get. So let's close it out there, Matt. What do you say? Sounds fantastic. Be sure to look into the show notes for the stories we talked about on today's show. And if you want to get in on some of those coins or the coins we have on BitMart already, you can click on the link in the description below or go to bitmart.com. Use the code BSMART at sign up. Next week, we'll be back with more. Be sure to check out the brand new BitMart Brain Trust. Last week's edition is up on YouTube and also on our podcast page, NFT 101. And we'll have a new edition coming to you on Friday. We have a special guest for that, so keep an eye on that. And if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the BitMart YouTube channel and also rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite audio platform, whether it's NFT 101, where we bring you the non-fungible news every week or every day, or the daily crypto watch on the Crypto Conversations channel, where, you know, Nathan will give you the biggest news in crypto every single day, Monday through Friday. For all of us here at BitMart, we're out of here, but we'll be back next week. This has been The Minor Leagues. 